Welcome to the Droma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association of JOMA podcast. I'm your host, Elisa Minkin. I'm a general pediatrician and proud JOMA member, and I'm super, super honored and super excited to be here today with Anna Sherman for the fourth time. Um, We have so much to talk about each time that we never feel like we're ever done. Um, So today we're talking about the role of diet and mental health. And to tell you the truth, we spent most of the time talking about Anna's personal stories about her dad's struggle with insulin-dependent diabetes that he had as an adult and hers with IBS and the role of diet and how you can figure out what works for you. Um, So here we go. I'm going to introduce Anna. But again, before I do, I'd like to say, please, if you have a topic you uncovered, um, you have someone you want to listen to, you want to be interviewed, please reach out to us at health at JOMA, H-E-A-L-T-H at JOMA.org. We'd love to hear from you. So Anna Sherman is compassionate, straightforward, and down to earth. She is a registered psychotherapist and certified maternal mental health practitioner who works with individuals, couples, and families. With a strong passion for self-help and wellness, Anna offers support as clients build on their strengths and continue to move forward in their lives. She holds a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and uses a variety of therapeutic approaches based on the individual needs of her clients. She is specially trained and has experience in emotionally focused therapy, psychodynamic therapy, Gottman Couples Counseling, Family Systems, Bowen Theory, Cognitive Behavior Therapy, and Mindfulness Meditation. Her treatment specializations include anxiety, depression, dating and relationships, couples counseling, family counseling, parenting support, perinatal support, separation and divorce, work and career issues, stress management, and conflict resolution. Anna enjoys providing classes and lectures on mental health and wellness and supervising psychotherapy students. Anna uses a client-centered and collaborative approach, helping clients find the root of their challenges and ultimately gaining the skills to help themselves. Most importantly, her compassionate, down-to-earth personality and warm sense of humor provide a calm, safe, nurturing environment for clients to grow, change, and heal. And if you scroll back, you'll see three other episodes on intimate partner violence, um, on divorce with Yael Braun, the divorce therapist, um, and the third one was on called Marrying Well about singles and mental health. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for joining me for the fourth time. Good to be back. I know. I'm really excited. We've been talking about this for a long time, you know, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. I'm really excited to get started with this. Um, and as we were talking before, you really have a unique blend of personal experience and professional experience. Mm -hmm. And that brings a special passion to it. So I really appreciate you doing this with me four times. My my (laughs) pleasure, as always. (laughs) Thank you. So you know what? We're going to talk about diet and mental health as a sort of broad topic, but I'd like to start with your story, please. And actually, even your dad's story, we can go back that far, Mm -hmm. please. For sure. Okay. So I just want to preface this by saying that as a therapist, as a clinician, I have many specialties, but eating disorders is not one of them. 
Right. <laughs> it's not oh, my specialty. Right. I don't. I don't deal with eating disorders. Right. But that, that's not really what we're talking. About. Right. And we should say that this could possibly be a trigger for someone with an eating disorder because we will mm-hmm. be not talking specifically about eating disorders, but maybe a little bit about orthorexia and restrictive eating a little bit. Yeah. So just heads up for that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So basically, so I, I'm from Toronto, grew up in Toronto, born and bred. Um, and um, so as a baby, uh, so I'm actually a uh, long, long-term Balchuva and my parents are, I guess you could say more like traditional, more on the traditional side. My dad's actually American. He's from Michigan. My mom's Canadian. Um, so when I was one year old, I don't remember, my father um, got sick. My father got very sick. He did not know what was wrong with him. He was having some very severe symptoms. He was losing weight rapidly. He was losing his memory. Um, he was like having sweats all the time, um, constantly irritable, disruptive sleep. He, he was just, he was a wreck. He was a mess and he had no idea what was going on. And for an adult to be getting these kind of symptoms it's, it's at 30, 31 years old, uh, it's, it's kind of unusual. Um, he got very scared. My mom got very scared. Like, did I like, you know, like, well, who did I marry? What's going on with them? They had me a new, a new baby, their first child. And he had this um, Japanese chiropractor, shiatsu therapist, chiropractor, who also did like um, Chinese medicine. He's telling him one day, he's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And, and the chiropractor's looking at him like, yeah, you don't look so good. And he's telling him all the symptoms. And the chiropractor says, you know, Rick, it sounds like you have type one diabetes. And my father's like, that's impossible. I'm 31. You can't, you know, that's juvenile diabetes. Like that's impossible. And he's like, no, no, I'm telling you, I really think this is what's going on. So he says, tell you what, you know, let's do a urine sample, you know, like um, the strips. And uh, my father goes in to do the test and he hears outside the bathroom, he hears his chiropractor go, oh, and sure enough, <laughs> the test um, did not <laughs> come back with very good results. Uh, they, my mom took him to the hospital that night. He was admitted and he underwent a whole bunch of tests. And it turns out he was very, very sick. And he had developed juvenile diabetes at the age of 31, which is highly, highly unusual. Very rare. You as a doctor, as a physician, know way better than I do probably how rare that would be. Correct? Um, I, I will say that we're talking, when you say juvenile, the term that's used now is type one or insulin one. dependent insulin diabetes. Dependent diabetes yeah. yeah. And after COVID, all bets are off. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. We'll, well that makes- at all ages for whatever reason. So yeah. Yeah, sure well, that's not common. It's especially not then. No. Right. And yeah. And what I seem to be hearing is that like a lot of what the research research is saying is that it is more, um, common now that if you've suffered a um an, a serious virus that you can mm-hmm. develop right. all kinds of autoimmune diseases afterwards so um right. i think this actually was developed after my father was recovering from some kind of virus mm. um which had been he had been under a lot of stress like work work related stress and then he got a virus and then he recovered from the virus and he developed this autoimmune disease, type one diabetes. So he was admitted to hospital. I, you know, I don't remember any of it. I was one year old. Apparently, according to my parents, I was like a huge hit mm. in the hospital. I was just learning to walk and the nurses were all excited about this baby walking up and down the halls. And 
he was faced with this whole new reality. So what I know, all I know, uh, you know, as a child growing up, my father had an illness, a chronic illness, it doesn't get better. And our lives um, in, in many ways revolved around him having this illness. Um, and now you can say, you know, on one hand, you could say, well, that's, you know, that's not fair to a family to have to revolve their lives around the father's illness. On the other hand, if we didn't, um, if my father didn't make the commitments to his health and to managing his illness the way that he did, our lives would continue to revolve around the illness in a, in a, in a very different way in, in that he would be, he would always be, uh, be sick. He would always be physically sick. Um, the way that our lives revolved around his illness was that he was very, very committed and continues to be to this day to, to effectively manage his illness. So in other words, he's, he's, he is militant about his self-care. And um, in, in my opinion, we'll get into this. This is um, uh, when you, when you have chronic illness and, you know, we can, we can argue it's, it's fair. It's not fair. Why me? That Like there's all kinds of questions. At the end of the day, if you have chronic illness, there's really not much you can do about it. You can't just disappear it. Right. <laughs> However, or, what did my clients say? You can't amputate it from your life. <laughs> my client said the other day, I want to amputate this from my life. You can't amputate it from your life, but at the same, so like Only. you can't get rid of it, but, um, but you can make a commitment to yourself to manage your illness. So in other words, you know, having a chronic illness is not a choice, but accepting that you have this chronic illness and then, making a commitment to your to manage your illness in a healthy way is the best way to is probably the best and most effective way to deal with your illness rather than living in a, a state of denial because then the illness will control you right so that's basically how i grew up watching my father be just this militant person and you know and I think in his mind you know I never really asked him this straight up but in his like my father is a very high functioning person he's he's busy like he's a very I mean now he's retired but at the time he was very very hard working um he had a little baby and like you know of course they wanted to build a family and he had my whole life you know like he wanted to be there for me and raise me and god willing like and now I have a, and then I, they had my sister um, and it's like, he didn't have time to be sick in the hospital for the rest of his life. So he had a choice. He can either like be in denial and be sick and keep go having to be rushed to the hospital all the time, or he could make, he could learn completely educate himself about his illness and learn to manage his illness with the utmost efficiency. So growing up, I remember us eating macrobiotics, not because we were obsessed, not because my parents were obsessed with diet and, you know, and, and, or, or nothing to do with like weight or anything like that. It was, that is how my father best learned to manage his illnesses through like, and maintain his blood sugar and his insulin levels is um, through macrobiotic diet at the time. And he was very, very strict. Um, what, what's it, when you say macrobiotic, I, I, I vaguely remember what that means, but can you define that? <laughs> It's a, I mean, you'd have to read up on it to really learn the ins and outs, but macrobiotic diet, it's, it's a diet. It's, it's more than a diet. It's more, it's a philosophy, um, which was created by, um, somebody named Michio Kushi, who I believe was a Japanese doctor. Um, and his philosophy, his philosophy was that, um, it's basically a vegan diet, but then you only eat 
foods that grow in the climate that you live in. Oh. So in other words, in Canada, like we never ate tropical fruits and there's no meat um, or dairy in the diet. Um, but like if you would live in Hawaii, then you would eat pineapples and mangoes and things that grow over there. And, and you only eat what's in season. Um, <laughs> but, but putting all those details aside, would you say that it's similar to when we say plant-based diet nowadays? Yeah, yeah, with a little bit more structure. There's certain special foods that that are included in there that like maybe a a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know about uh, that just provide different health benefits. Um, um, Like, I can't even remember. And and it also um, talking about like, it talks also a lot about like how much you need, like how much portion size you actually need. So like, I remember my father weighing his food and measuring his food. Not again, not, not nothing to do with weight loss or like he was a right. very thin man at the like still is, but I think at the time he was too probably too thin because he was newly diagnosed. But it was all about managing the illness, managing the blood sugar levels, managing the insulin levels. So yeah, it was like measuring out the food in, in weight, in size, um, and knowing when to stop like I think the philosophy was like you eat until you're just a little bit hungry and then you stop and like there was never any like he would never drink water while he was eating there's like lots and lots of stuff that he I remember him eating um or we would all eat miso soup for breakfast that's how you're supposed to start your day with like cooked vegetables and miso and broth and that's supposed to like wake up the gut and prepare it for digestion throughout the day it was like a very like I'd say an extreme way of life that was not my entire childhood. <laughs> That's right. how we ate as, when I was a very little girl, because that is at the time when he was, he was still learning to manage. Wait, so you all ate that way? So we all, yeah, pretty much we all ate that way for a while. Like my mom and my sister and I would eat other things that he wouldn't eat. But like as a little girl, we never had, bananas or oranges or pineapples in the house like we never had tropical fruits in the house we didn't really have sugar we didn't really have much dairy we didn't have any white bread white flour nothing like that very few packaged foods interesting yeah mostly just whole foods like that so that's that's how we ate and um they they kind of embraced the philosophy um for a while now over time he got um, much better at learning how to manage his chronic illness. Like he just, he learned his body and his blood sugars. And um, also he's like, he was, he was and continues to be militant about exercise because that's another big factor in managing it. So like every other day he's out to run five miles. Like even if it's a busy day, even if, you know, like my mom, like, it's like, you know, has two little kids and she's just like, you're going out now, but like, he had to do it. Like, and nice. it was just an understanding that like, he's not doing it to be selfish or, he's not, you know, like he's doing it because this is how he manages his health. And if he wasn't committed to his health, to his illness in that way, the illness would then overcome him. And then our lives would revolve around his illness in a different way. Right. And that was basically like the approach. And listen, there were, there were some scary times, you know, when he missed a blood test or he, you know, like, cause he would test his own blood every morning. Like he would miss something and like, he would go into diabetic shock and we, mm-hmm. and we saw what could happen. And my sister and I grew up with that, like just always being nervous or being worried, like 
you know, is, is that okay? Or like, no, we're, no, he's gotta go to the hospital. Like it was scary and hit and his personality would change when he would go into diabetic shock. He would get like very nervous and he, he would start to sweat and he would start to shake. And, um, he would get very scared that like he was gonna, you know, pass out or whatever. And we would like, yeah, we would know what to do. We'd be like, daddy needs some juice right now. Like sit him down, you know, should we take him to the hospital? Like we grew up with that. So, but for the most part, his militant commitment was, um, uh, was what really kept him in such good shape. And yeah, and that's what I was saying. My father's over 70 and like, he still like runs, lifts weights um, and, you know, just basically eats what he needs to eat in order to um, feel well. And he's, he's still at it so many years later. Um, is it hard? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, and does, does he get down about it sometimes? For sure he does. But I never thought any different in, in terms because I grew up with him as a model for me. I never thought any different about like, Oh wow, my father's such a hero. I'm just like, yeah, he has an illness. And like this, when, if you have a chronic illness, this is what you do. You have, you have to make a commitment. Otherwise you're going to deteriorate. And um, there were times over the years when he would meet other people who had the same illness as him. And they were like really deteriorating because they weren't, um they weren't really interested in making such um such a drastic commitment to taking care of their their well-being and and taking on such an extreme lifestyle and so um as a result they were not feeling <laughs> they were not feeling so they didn't have as much energy they were in and out of the hospital way more often than he was like um right just just for clarification you know you can have um uh, type one diabetes and not need to be on such a diet to be well. This is a very specific story, and we're not here for medical advice. Right. Please consult with yeah. your health professional. <laughs> but that that's an important point to make because, first of all, now we have continuous glucose monitors, which is really helpful for people to be more on top of their blood sugar. Yeah. Sugars. Also, I see a lot of kids on the pump these days, which is amazing. And the insulin pump, right? So that yeah. that is those were both tremendous game changers. So yeah. there's many different ways to do diabetes. And there's also many different um, types of diabetics, right? There are some that are much more brittle, you know, and have much more. For sure. For sure. It sounds like your dad was, was pretty on what we call the brittle side. Um, I mean, initially, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, he was very sick initially. Now, no, no, now he's not. No, I'm sorry, when I say brittle, I mean, this is, I don't know if this meaning that he could deteriorate quickly if he wasn't careful. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. So not and not every really, diabetic is like that. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. And it's right. He actually he jokes about it now because um, I don't know. Now, 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 now he's just a funny person in general. But like now I think I said to him, so, Daddy, if you didn't have your insulin, if like we got stranded somewhere, and you didn't have your insulin, you would live maybe like um, like maybe three days without it. And he's and he's like, um, no, it probably live around seven days. Oh, really? Yes, down. <laughs> like, okay, so we have a little more time. It is macrobiotic diet only. <laughs> uh, I mean, so he's not, so he's not, a, he's not a strict macrobiotic anymore. He mm -hmm. has his own, he knows what works for him. Yes. Um, I would say what's, what's interesting about how my father eats now, it's very interesting. We, you know, with all the talk about intuitive eating, and what intuitive eating means and what it is like my father is 
so he knows himself so well he knows his blood sugar he knows how he feels so well that like i'll see him sometimes like when we're visiting he'll sometimes he'll just literally like walk into the kitchen go in the fridge um grab um grab like a carrot <laughs> um and just like sprinkle some salt on it and eat the raw carrot and then leave or other times we'll see him like just walk in at, at, at a certain time of day, grab a piece of Ezekiel bread, slap on some butter, eat it and leave. And, it, and I'm like, what, like, how do you know? He's like, I just know when I need um, fats, like some fat in my body, or I need carbs or something, or I feel like I'm getting low. So I need a piece of fruit to up the sugar. Like, he's just like, I, I just know at this time. And he generally does not join us for lunch because the way that his um, shot his insulin shot is now and the way that his day goes like he doesn't really eating lunch kind of messes up his levels so he's usually like a breakfast person maybe a snack sometime in the afternoon and then dinner that's an amazing story you know i mean that yes. is such a great role model for you and then i want you to tell us about your own issues and you know we can clearly see how you learned right yeah <laughs> so right so what i learned is so what we learned from from that is um yeah, basically, like he, his endocrinologist had told him and my mom, like, yeah, in your case, it's like kind of a, just a freak case. It doesn't seem to run in your family and your kids probably won't develop it. So we're like, okay, whatever. You know, he got the, he got the lucky card. Um, so fast forward <laughs> like a bunch of years. Um, I was like, pretty much like always a healthy kid. We ate healthy, I was active, pretty much always a healthy kid. Um, as I got a bit older, I started having like a little bit of a dairy sensitivity. And so I went through times like throughout my young adult life where sometimes I would be completely off dairy. Sometimes I would start on it again. Usually it gave me eczema or it gave me like sinus um, pressure, sinus headaches. So that was kind of like an on and off kind of relationship with dairy. Um, and then my husband and I got married and I can't even remember if I was on dairy at the time. I think I was back on dairy or something. And, um, and then we, we got to the point where we started going through infertility cause like I wasn't getting pregnant and I, I was already like almost 30. Um, and, um, we had, a, we had an excellent specialist and he said yeah so you know basically technically your infertility is unexplained because everything's good with you everything's good with your husband however you do have autoimmune antibodies so that's probably what's keeping you from getting pregnant even though we don't really know why and I'm like speak English tell me what that means and he's like well that the auto the autoimmune antibodies are something that are hereditary it, it does run in your family somewhere um and although you don't really have anything wrong with you right now, you'll probably develop something down the line. And he was looking at me very closely. He's like, why are your hands red? And I'm like, Oh, I just always had eggs. And he's like, yeah, but why, <laughs> you know, like, why do you have that? Like, and um, he was asking me all about, you know, and what do you eat? And, 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 um, and I'm thinking like, okay, so I guess this probably comes from my father who has an autoimmune disease. And although I don't have anything, like this is not great news. <laughs> so anyways, we just started going through the motions and thankfully, you know, you know, within the year I got pregnant with twins because that's what happens when you're, <laughs> when you're doing these treatments. <laughs> um, and um, yeah. And then I think we've spoken before. I had a very difficult pregnancy. Um, and then 
Baruch Hashem, gave birth to healthy twin girls. And I, you know, this whole um, autoimmune thing was like kind of out of my mind because now I had twins and I was taking care of them. And then when the girls were, I would say like maybe about six months old, I started having like these weird um, allergic reactions to like everything. Like just to everything. Like, so one morning I woke up and like my eye is like swollen out of out of my face. And and then I'm washing dishes and I start coughing from the fumes of the dish soap of all things. Um and um it was really the swollen eye that got to me. Like it was getting worse and worse and worse. And I was like in the store, I looked like a Star Trek character. Like people were looking at me. I'm like, hey, this is really like I can't do this. So um we went to the dermatologist. She had no idea what was going on. Um, we ended up going to my mother's natural path, a naturopathic doctor who took one look at me and he's like, yeah, you're, you're like really reacting. Like your body is like completely in like um, overdrive. It's probably got to do with the pregnancy, the birth. And he explained what my fertility specialist had said. It's like sometimes, after pregnancy and after childbirth, then you can develop autoimmune reactions or you can develop an autoimmune disease. He's like, so clearly you're going through something. So he gave me some remedies, which um, help with like anti-inflammatory um, reactions. And they helped literally like the next day, my eye shrunk. I went wait, 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 wait. When you say remedies, what, what kind of remedies? I'm curious. Um, I can't even remember. Like there are box flower remedies and there are other. So like homeopathic kind of. Yeah. Home, yeah homeopathic. Remedies. I, I just want to say one thing. I, you know, people who are following my podcast will see that I'm, I'm more and more interested in hearing these kind of stories. I will have to give a caveat. I am a evidence-based medicine based podcast. Um, however, I just find this so fascinating. First of all, second of all, Modern medicine today has become very siloized, right? Like you go to the dermatologist or you go to the gastroenterologist, you go to this specialist, that specialist, and someone like a naturopath, which again, is not full, it's in the alternative sphere. And I'm not here to promote anything or speak no. out against it. I'm just talking because I find this, I personally am frustrated by the siloization of medicine where they don't look at you as a whole person, but the naturopath did. Oh yeah, no, exactly. And I'm not, and I'm also, um, you know, I also have my own GP who I speak to and I go see her when I need to. And I also have an endocrinologist who I go see um, for my other issues that develop. So, and I have a natural path. Like I, my philosophy is like whatever helps you and works for you. Then for sure. Like, no, for sure. <laughs> my ideal world, they would all work together and talk to each other. That would be. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so anyways, do they do that in Canada? Because I know in America, I don't think they do. Do what in Canada? Do they work together? Does like somebody like a naturopath no. work with your GP now? No. no. In Israel, I interviewed a homeopathic practitioner, um, and she in Israel works with like the doctors there. Oh, yeah. It's way more accepted in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry. Back to your story. You took some remedies. So, yeah. So then he said to me, um, I want you to bring me all of the every substance you have in your house, like all your makeup, all your skincare, all your 
hand soap, your face soap, your dish soap, your laundry soap, your cleaning solutions. <laughs> okay. I bring it all to him and he look and he, I lay it on the table and he looks at everything. He's like, okay, so half the stuff, like, or more than half the stuff you need to replace. Um, you can't be using this anymore because you're probably reacting to it. And this is why your eye is inflamed. And I was like, what are you talking about? But it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but like, who, you know, nobody really thinks that their makeup is like killing them. <laughs> Not killing them. Like, nobody thinks that, like, oh, yeah, my makeup is making me sick or like. Well, look at what's in it. <laughs> I mean, there's chemicals in there. I just, I didn't really, like, you know, like, I never thought twice. So, yeah, I had, so it was definitely a big lifestyle change. So, all that had to go. Um, and those kind of reactions started calming down. Um, then like, I would say maybe when the girls were around two years old, I started having the next issue where I start, I slowly started getting sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. And we, I had no idea what was wrong with me. So, um, I started having severe stomach cramps when the girls were about two years old. And, um, and I thought like, what is this from? Because um, at that point I was eating like super, super healthy. So I, um, yeah, I was off dairy again because that was never really agreeing with me. Um, basically cut out gluten, but like I wasn't so strict about it. So I would have like, I would still have, let's say like sushi with a little tempura in it or um, yeah, basically like maybe once in a while I'd have like a bite of pizza but like I was basically you know not really eating bread pasta um but in the morning I would make myself this amazing smoothie with mango and strawberries and um almond milk and like um I don't know hemp seeds and whatever and I drink it down then I take my girls to play group and I'd be in like horrible pain horrible, horrible pain. I'm like, why? I just had a smoothie. And then I was really into quinoa and I, I like make quinoa and chicken and vegetables for dinner. And I'd have to go lie down after dinner because I would be in doubling over pain. And I had like no idea what was going on. I was just constantly in pain and constantly having to lie down. And again, and I'm like, and this is what my, my father's saying, like, who's got time for this? Nobody's got time for this. I have to, like, I got to figure this out. So um, I went back to the naturopath. Actually, I went to a different naturopath this time. And she deals a little bit more with like food sensitivities. And I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with my stomach. I eat super healthy. This is what I eat. Da, 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 da. What is it? It's like, oh, for sure. Yeah, you can't be eating that. You can't. So um, can't she be, said, can't be eating what? So the fruits had to go. Like apparently a lot of people, more than we know, <laughs> um, have a really hard time digesting fruit especially these kind of fruits that I was having um and the quinoa apparently a lot of people also have trouble with quinoa I, I want to backtrack for just a minute did you get a diagnosis um eventually not at this point but eventually so you're still just playing around with your diet yeah so she's like okay let's do so we tried so we did the elimination diet so turn so peanuts I've, I've always had a peanut allergy so those were gone so like I never had I was never eating peanuts, but we ended up cutting out like pretty much, I think we cut out all fruits except for apples and blueberries, um, cut out the quinoa and there was, and then no dairy. And she didn't want me to completely cut out gluten. She's like, try having sprouted wheat, try having sourdough. Try. So 
I started feeling a lot better once all the fruit was gone, once the chemo was gone. Um, I wasn't in doubling over pain anymore, um, but I was still reacting to wheat. Now, when um, you say an elimination diet, I just want to stop for this one. When you say elimination diet, what does that mean for you? You just eliminate elimination diet is basically when you eliminate pretty like most things and then you slowly add them back in. So, to see, to see what, what, you eat, what do you eat at first? And for how long do you eliminate them for? So, I don't even remember. I think like a couple of weeks we eliminated everything. And then I tried quinoa again and I got sick. So, clearly that's a culprit. So, we mm -hmm. took that away. And then she said, you know, she, she, she knew that the fruits were not going to agree with me. Just my makeup, my wiring she could just tell that the fruits were not going to be for me but she said like let's like reduce it down to apples and blueberries and then um I think we added in bananas again and those were fine bananas were fine and then we added in raspberries and those were fine but like the few times I've ever had a pear or a mango or a strawberry since then it was bad news can I ask, this is naturopath also trained in nutrition I mean it, it, it yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I'm worried yeah. like that somebody would do this um and not have good nutritional guidance because it's so yeah yeah to get into yeah she's, yeah so she's a holistic nutritionist and she's a okay. natural okay. yeah so so that was so that was I was basically managing for I'd say the next two three years um, still getting stomach aches um, I found actually um, I was still getting stomach aches, stomach aches because I wasn't fully gluten free and I wasn't uh, I still had things with soy which apparently is also not good for me. So I'd have like a protein bar that like everybody eats a protein bar, or whatever. And I think I'm thinking like, that's fine. It's a good snack when I'm on the go, but I'm running from appointment to appointment, clinic to clinic, you know, I worked at like a few different places and I would grab a protein bar and then I'd be sick like half an hour later. And it was the soy. Right. So when, when we, I know you're talking about the food, but, but I'm yeah. stuck on you have these symptoms. You're all the time you're going to the doctor, right? Like the general doctor too, trying to figure out what's going on. So I did, honestly, she had like no clue. Oh boy. <laughs> she had no answers for me because she, she, at one point she did send me, she sent me for allergy testing and everything came back negative. Right. So Except for peanuts. The peanuts came, I'm not, yeah. Peanuts were always a no-go. Like, but like it didn't, it, did, it never came back that I'm allergic to fruit. It never came back. Like it never came back that like when you do this, the scratch test, I never, it never came back that I was right. allergic to. Right, like, right. So, so you're, going, you're going to just a GP. I mean, this is Canada. So medicine is socialized, right? Correct. You won't get as easy access to specialists as we do here in America. So right? I had, uh, right. So I had gone, I had gone to my GP as well. Then I had gone mm -hmm. to the allergist, the allergy, you know, specialist, doctor, G, like GP specializes in, not a GP, the allergist, the specialist. Right, not a gastroenterologist? So that was later, but okay. first, um, just first, just the allergist. And he did the whole test, every test, the whole scratch test on me mm -hmm. and like negative, everything negative. So he's like, you could have a lot. He said to me, you probably have a lot of sensitivities, but you're not fully allergic to any of these. Mm -hmm. So not a whole lot of answers. And that's when I found I'm, I am getting my answers from the holistic nutrition right. and natural fat. That's where, that's where right. I'm finally getting at. Right. Cause they're helping you feel better. You don't always get. <laughs> finally, I'm not sick anymore. Like I don't care yeah. who's giving me the answers as long of as course. I'm not crippled with, in pain. But you know, but this is, but this is a really common, I'm a pediatrician. I see so many young adults in my practice with this same story. 
you know, um, and it's usually IBS. It's usually irritable bowel syndrome. Right. There will not be a positive test for that. Right. So that was the, basically the conclusion that the naturopath gave me and my GP, my G, because she couldn't figure, she had no answers for me. Um, she was like, you have IBS, Anna. Like, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, there's not really a whole lot we can say about IBS. Nothing's showing up on your allergy test. Um, and um, yeah, like, and you're, but you're having these reactions. So I'm going to say you have IBS. She's like, I'm going to give you that diagnosis. So I'm like, right, you, you can have, right. You can have a diagnosis of IBS made um, without any testing. A GP, a general practitioner, you know, a pediatrician, an internist can make the diagnosis right away. I think that modern medicine tends to think we have to look for markers. We have to look for what's wrong. And then if we don't right. find it, there's almost the implication, well, you must not really be sick, which isn't true. It's not true. Um, no, it's not true at all. Um, I, I don't think, but then I, I also don't think it's fair that anyone should feel like that they need to um, give up or limit themselves. I, I, my my hmm. philosophy is that if you don't get the answers from your doctor or from whoever, but you know, but you're you're suffering and you're in pain and you're struggling, then keep keep searching for answers. Right. By the way, um, for people listening, I did a different interview with uh, Beatty Benvogel, who is the head of the pediatric IBS clinic at Boston Children's, yeah. the gut-brain yeah. connection. So we're not going to go into IBS so much. Um, and what we, I said there applies to adults as well. Um, so it's good to listen to that. Um, and we talked about the gut-brain connection there because IBS is a classic disorder of gut-brain connection. And when I say gut-brain, I mean when you're anxious, it affects your gut. When your gut is upset, it affects your mood, right? I mean, it goes back and forth. And what I have found is that doctors, you know, regular doctors often will look and say, okay, well, I don't see anything wrong. You must have a mental health problem. It must be in your head. And so right. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because it's, it's, it's really a misunderstanding of one of these interactive disorders, which is why I see why you get more help from your naturopath. Right. Now, I will, I will say, though, that there, when they say you have a mental health problem, that, that is a very frustrating, that's a very frustrating conclusion. However, um, anxiety can contribute to IBS. Right. Because if you're if your body is in a constant state of tension and anxiety, then it will you'll hold on to it anywhere. You can hold on to it. And like some people have chronic neck pain, chronic back pain, head, chronic headaches and and can have chronic stomach pain no matter what you eat. Right. So but on the flip side, if you are, are also one of like what we'll get into shortly, if you also um, are somebody who is like has like an obsession around food or yeah like there are just families who this runs in families where like they're just obsessed with food and it comes from um a lot of it comes from like um mentalities surrounding the depression and and holocaust and um it's you know it's not uncommon but if you grow up in an environment like that where everybody's constantly obsessed with food 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 do we have enough food what food is this how does it taste to do this, and there's so much emotion and anxiety and stress is wrapped up in food all the time, then that can also create tension 
surrounding food, that will give you IBS. <laughs> or like that, oh, wow. that, that will give you a stomachache every time you eat. If you're constantly worried about what you're eating and when you're going to eat and who's eating. And if the rest of the family has enough to eat, if you grow up in an environment like that, that like and with a food obsession, then that, that can also create stress in the gut. And that can also create some form of IBS. So it's like, it's, a, it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And that's exactly. why a lot of times doctors will just give a stamp and just say like, oh, you nothing wrong with you. You have a mental health issue. Well, no, you don't just have a mental health issue. You have a physical health issue, but it, but there is the brain body connection. Um, and that's a big part of IBS. And, you know, a lot of times you'll see people with anxiety who also struggle with IBS and then they go on um Lexapro or Ciprolex like just a, just a small dose of, or Zoloft or one of these um antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications and they they find they suddenly feel calmer they're able to manage their anxiety much better and then their stomach aches go away you see nice. that too right because it's all connected because once you once you're once your anxiety has calmed down then your body relaxes once your body relaxes your gut relaxes Right. And diet also plays a big part in both mood and gut health. Yeah. Right. Which is what I really wanted to focus on for this talk. Although I did a different talk on psychiatric medications with Dr. Tal Weinberger. And yeah. a, separate, a separate episode. Um, but I also find that it's challenging as a physician when I'm diagnosing IBS and I also see there's anxiety because it's such a sensitivity to validating the IBS and validating the pain. Right. But there's a resistance to saying, well, there's also a mood disorder going on here. Right. Chicken, egg, I don't care which came first. I want them to feel right. better. Right, right. But I mean, I think it's, I just think that there needs to be more education for people out there. There needs to be more information that's provided that like they can read up on rather than just like giving a stamp, giving a diagnosis, just be like, yeah, you've got a mental health issue, go deal with it. And that's why you have a stomach, you know, that's why you think, that's why you think you have a stomach issue. That's why you think you're having stomach aches. No, they really do have stomach aches. And yes, it can be connected to their mental health, but like, they don't understand why. <laughs> we got to explain it to them. Right. Well, unfortunately, and I'm always whining about this on this podcast, we don't have enough time. So it's very sad. It's very sad. And yeah. like I, and I wrote in my notes to you that they're often called heart sink patients. You know, you see on the list patients complaining of a whole bunch of like nonspecific symptoms or you know already it's going to be IBS and they're probably also going to be anxious and they're going to take three times the amount of time you have allocated to that visit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's a problem for the doctor. Mm -hmm. um, I, I personally say, you know, build your team. Don't expect your doctor to be everything for you. Your doctor's not going to have enough time to talk to you about the role of diet in any extensive, but get, get a referral to a nutritionist if you don't have one. I'm going right. to put a plug for RDs, registered dietitians here in America. We have a very specific degree for that. Um, and I have a lot of dietitian friends, so I'll be happy if I say that. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, there are people who can call themselves nutritionists in America with absolutely no credentials and, you know, no specific form of study and registered dietitians do have a very rigorous course of study. Um, I don't know any offhand that's, that specialize in um, chronic illness, specifically gut disease, you know, and nutrition, mm -hmm. but that would be what I would look for personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, and there are many that do specialize in that and they have their, yeah, their world of information. Do you know of any <laughs> people about? I can go find. Um, in Canada, yeah, I know some. I'm in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's about I it. I keep forgetting we're on a different country. I keep forgetting. Yeah, um, yeah but I, I, 
I also, I also do try to get my patients to deal with the mental health separately because I think it's important. Um, but I also talk about diet all the time now. And I just had a patient and she said, yeah, my gastro told me to go on the FODMAP diet. I think like, mm-hmm. you know, regular doctors think, okay, IBS equals FODMAP. Do you know the FODMAP diet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it does not equal that. <laughs> I haven't yet met, I haven't yet met a patient who actually successfully, I mean, I'm I'm sure people do. I just haven't had many patients. People do all kinds of diets. People do keto, people do, um, I don't know what the other ones are, but you know, like FODMAP, I know people have done FODMAP and people have done, um, honestly, I don't even remember all that. FODMAP is a very restrictive diet it's very very hard to stick to and again i mean i'm seeing right. teenagers so i'm seeing a very specific only up to 21 22 years right. old right. and you ask a teenager to go on the fodmap diet look at you like i don't think so right right it might make you feel better if you could adhere to it yeah yeah or yeah yeah if people will sometimes do the raw foods diet for mm-hmm. a certain amount of time and that that has worked for a lot of people um it yeah it just really depends you know, um, you know, if you're if you're doing something with guidance and um, you know, and uh, and help, I think you're not just you know making this up as you go along. You're trying to do it in a safe way. Then you know, whatever works for you. But it's again, you know, like it's it's what works for you. It's whatever works for you. And there is there's no one answer for every single person. Um, I've wor- I've now found what works for me, and thankfully, I have not had a flare up in about five years. That's amazing, and yeah. I bet you adhere to it just like your dad adheres to his diet. So yeah, I'm actually militant about that. That's kind of like the conclusion of the story is that I ended up committing myself to my chronic illness. So it turns out, in the end, do you want me to finish the story? <laughs> I'll finish the story of <laughs> how I figured it out. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so um, so what ended up happening was, um, yeah, I was basically managing with this, like, eliminating the fruits, eliminating the quinoa, eliminating dairy. And then um, I was, you know, still, like, eating a little bit of gluten here and there, but pretty much gluten-free. Um, but then I was still, I was still occasionally getting sick, but, like, really, really bad pain. And then one day I went to a meeting um, like a work-related meeting and the therapist that was running the meeting, she said to me, Oh, I got you gluten-free cookies. Cause I know you're, you try and be careful about that. So I said, Oh, thank you. And, um, so I had one and I'm like, this tastes really good. Like this tastes like too good to be gluten-free. And then I look at the package and they're not gluten-free. They're oh whole no. Wheat, they're whole wheat cookies. No. <laughs> so, but I'm like, okay, it should be all right. It should be okay. Um, so an hour later, I, I met my mom for lunch in Aroma. We have a kosher aroma here and I ordered vegetable soup and an almond milk hot chocolate. Cause I love how they do their hot chocolate and I ate and that was fine. But then around the time I was eating lunch with my mom was when the cookie hit my, like the cookie was starting to di- digest. Um, and I was hit with like a huge um, flare up, uh, like so much pain that I was like 
on the floor of the restaurant screaming, screaming, screaming in pain, like doubled over holding my stomach, like almost as bad as when I was in labor to be honest. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Really, really bad. And I kept thinking, it'll pass. I kept saying to my mom, don't worry, it'll pass, it'll pass. And she's like, you need to see someone. And um, I'm, and I'm like, no, it'll pass, it'll pass. It didn't. I went home and I was um, like doubled in pain on my bed for hours. Um, and that flare up didn't really go away for about six weeks. I was like in pain for about six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Finally started calming down. And, but what I learned is that because I had this flare up, it weakened my entire immune system. And so shortly after I started clearing up, the pain started clearing up from the flare ups about six weeks later, I got a really bad virus and I was really sick with a fever and like a flu virus. And then that took a while to recover from. So it was a really, really long recovery. I was like unwell for like several months after that and so that's when I went back to the naturopath and she was like okay we're gonna try something way more drastic she said this is all celiac she's like you you for sure have celiac you need to stay away from gluten you need to like start separating it like from like in your fridge you can't even be washing on Shabbos like you can't even have a bite of challah like you just have to cut it completely wait, wait one second did, did you get tested for celiac um, so I didn't get tested. I didn't get officially tested for celiac because um, I got so sick. I got so sick from it. And all in this whole workup, medical workup, they never tested you? No. And um, because I hadn't had, I hadn't been having such extreme reactions from gluten until that point. I mean, and in America, you have a bellyache for like a week and you get gluten. <laughs> it's right. tested. I don't get this. So they told me like, yeah, we could, let's do, they said, let's do an endoscopy and we'll, we'll see. But they told me, but like when, once I went to the gastroenterologist, he said, yeah, let's do, we'll, we'll, we'll test for celiac. He's like, but then you need to be eating gluten yes, for a month. Yes, correct. Correct. Before we do the endoscopy. And I'm like, I can't eat gluten for a month because I'll have a flare up. I'll get sick for six weeks and then I'll get sick with something else. And he's like, well, then we can't do it. Right. But there are blood tests. But anyway, okay. The blood test it includes eating gluten for. Um, no, you have to be on gluten for the blood test as well. Yeah, so we haven't done it yet. <laughs> wow. So just just to be clear, though, there are people who have celiac, and then there are people who have gluten intolerance, which can also make them sick, but they don't meet criteria for celiac. Right. So the reason why my doctor and my naturopath think, but really believe that I do have celiac, is because celiac celiac is an autoimmune disease and. Um, going by the pattern in my family and in my own health of just like having autoimmune antibodies going through infertility and then becoming allergic to like everything and then developing this severe reaction to gluten it most likely is that I have celiac disease and I just didn't know for a long time and it's finally reared its ugly head celiac is very underdiagnosed yeah yeah, and there's a lot of people walking around, a lot of sick people walking around. Not it's one of them. these crazy eaters, you know, you can have short stature, you can have infertility, different things. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Your body can't tolerate. So at the end of the day, it's avoidance either way, strict avoidance. Right. So what I found was with the, 
with the whole combination. So I, I ended, yeah, I had to go really strict with the diet. Like for me, this was the right thing for me to cut out the fruits, to cut out the dairy, cut out severely cut out gluten, like to a very like severe degree. Like we don't like my husband's all, all on board with it. So it's like, if, if, if Brad touched something on the counter, he's like, Oh, don't, don't go there. Don't start working there until I clean it up for you. Like we're really, really careful. Um, and and then I also found that um, generally digestion works way better for me when I'm when I'm doing like rigorous exercise several times a week. I feel mm -hmm. a thousand times better. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's all, it's all factored in. <laughs> it's all factored. Like I just I gotta go, and even if that means like it's not convenient or I have to schedule clients around exercise, I, it's not like the exercise exercise for me, it's not like an extracurricular thing. It's, it's a priority. Right. Right. Because it's a need is part of your health. It's a need. Cause I, I don't feel, I don't feel my best. And, and um, anxiety wise also, I'm way more anxious when I'm not exercising. And, um, and when I am exercising, I'm much, much calmer. And my stomach is so much more functional when I'm exercising. So I really want to talk about what I think of as the minefield here. You know, whenever I hear about someone going on an elimination diet or a restrictive diet, I start worrying that it could be unhealthy. So I really yeah. want your take on this, please. Absolutely. So I've seen people, it's interesting because um, we mentioned something called orthorexia, which is mm -hmm. basically like an extreme obsession with eating healthy, um, which then becomes unhealthy because it's never healthy to obsess over anything. And like I mentioned before, the more obsessed and uptight you are about the food that you're eating and the food that you're searching for and buying, then that the more chance that eating is going to, is going to be an unpleasant, even maybe painful process because you're so uptight and nervous about every time you put something in your stomach, you can give yourself IBS, right? Because you're, you have tension. So that obviously is not healthy either. And, but there are even other forms of it. Like I, I remember um, being in a, like a workshop one time about eating disorders, which I mentioned is, is not my specialty, but I have a colleague who it is her specialty. And we were in um, a workshop where she was talking about orthorexia. And I asked her, I said, like, you know, those people that like, it's not that they're obsessed with healthy food necessarily, but they're just like obsessed with food in general, where like, they talk about food all the time, and they go to the grocery store every day. And they're always worried about like, is there enough food? Or is there too much food? Um, did I take too much? Let me put some back. And they generally come from families where like, this is the mentality as well. I asked her, I said, is that orthorexia? And she said, no, it, technically not. That's more just like, food obsession, but it can definitely have the same effects as orthorexia, which is just constant tension around food. And that's never healthy either. But what, what also is not healthy is to be constantly obsessed with your illness <laughs> and to be constantly like letting your illness take over your life in not in a way that you're going to keep yourself healthy and functional, but in a way that you're always too sick to go anywhere, or you don't want to commit to anything because you might go there and feel sick. That's right, right, I, right, right. And I, I don't mean to you, I'm sorry. I, but I also see people who are struggling with a chronic illness, they're looking for the answer. 
And there often isn't one answer, by the way, like you mentioned exercise, you mentioned therapy for anxiety, you mentioned the diet that works for you. And then someone who's so vulnerable and they're suffering so much, and then someone says, oh, you need to be on the X diet, right? But their problems are bigger than that. And there's so much anxiety that they, they're not getting better. So they take one thing out and then another thing out and then another thing out. Do you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. it's, it's such an interplay of anxiety and restriction and I don't know how many people end up with a full-blown eating disorder, but I know it's not uncommon for eating disorders to start with somebody becoming vegetarian yeah. or restricting in other ways. Yeah. And so people have, even have an IBS or another gut condition. So it's not like hmm. the eating disorder ones are the ones that start with nothing and restrict and become eating disorders. You could start with IBS and end up with an eating exactly. disorder. Exactly. So like, so I be, the way I would explain it is like, kind of like this, like wellness, overall wellness physical mental um whatever way you want to talk about it wellness is is a commitment it doesn't just come naturally if you want to live a life of wellness you have to commit yourself to wellness that works for you based on whatever it is that you are dealing with in your life so if you're struggling with a chronic illness um your wellness is going to take a huge huge commitment and you need to make time for your wellness. If you do not, you will be making lots of time for your illness. So I, in my opinion, I think it's really important for every individual who's dealing with any kind of illness, chronic or acute to find out what your do your own research, find out what your illness is all about. Um, Create a team for yourself. Maybe you're going to need a gastroenterologist a nutritionist, maybe you're going to need a naturopathic doctor, maybe you're going to need a holistic nutritionist, uh, maybe you're going to need an endocrinologist, maybe you're also going to need a psychotherapist who helps people with chronic illness, like myself. Um, and you're going to work hard at getting what whatever the answers are for you. So like myself, if I if I hadn't gotten the answers, and I didn't know that for me, for Anna Sherman, quinoa is bad, mango is bad news. <laughs> gluten is bad news I would still be sick now 10 years later after having my kids like I would I would be like I would not be present with my kids I would not be able to work as many hours as I do I'm not be able to write my book would not be on this podcast because I would be in bed right because I like how would I know but I think it's every one of us it's our responsibility to get the answers because once we have the answers and you get into routine of like okay this works for me this doesn't work for me this I can do this I can't do this I have to do, I have to make time for this. Because if I don't, this is going to happen. You don't even think about it anymore. It's just like, this is this is a lifestyle that you commit yourself to, so that you can then move on and live your life. So now I don't really think about what am I gonna make for dinner anymore? Because I know what I know what I can have for dinner, I know what I can have for breakfast. And I know that I got to have my run in the morning. So I get up an hour early so I can run before I take the kids to camp. And like, it's just not really an issue anymore because I've got more important things to do. I need, I need to take the kids to camp. I need to get to work. I need to go grocery shopping. I got a podcast with Dr. Lisa Minkin. Like stuff is happening. I can't be sick. I just can't, I don't have time to be sick. I don't have time to to be like obsessing over my illness all the time. And if you want to be living your life, you know, fully and to the best of your ability, you need to take care of yourself first. You need to get answers and you need to accept the fact that like, this is me. I have a chronic illness. It sucks. Get over that part of it. <laughs> because It's not going away. The more, you know, just because you're resentful about it, it's not going to make it go away. 
Um, is it fair? No, it's not really fair, but like life isn't fair. Sorry. <laughs> but you know what? But you know what? This may take years of therapy for somebody to get to. You know, that's yeah. why God invented therapy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we could adjust. It may not be an easy thing. We don't want to minimize. You know, it, it's a hard thing to deal with. It's not it's a simple very thing. hard. It, it's not easy at all. You know what's harder, though? It's harder to be sick all the time and not right. live, right. not live a fulfilling life. It's much harder to be in bed or to like, you know, people lose friends over this because they end up canceling plans or not making plans or not being fun because they go get together with their friends and all they can talk about is their illness and how sick they feel and how hard it is and yada, yada, yada. Um, and it, it also becomes, it can become very difficult for the people around you, like your family, your spouse, your, um, your friends, because you're just always not sure about like, can I eat this? Can I not eat this? Like it gets very exhausting worrying all the time about what you're going to eat, what you're not going to eat, how you're going to feel later, how you're going to feel the next day. And the people around you, it's very exhausting to be dealing with that and hearing that all the time as well. It can also lead to anxiety, as we had mentioned. It can also really lead to depression because if you're right. if you're in pain and feeling sick all the time, that that can make somebody very depressed. Absolutely, absolutely. But not everybody will have specific dietary things, right? Like they may try to see if their illness is related to diet or specific dietary yes. things, but it, it may not be as clear as yours. It may not be as clear. I do. I honestly do think, though, that. Um, healthy eating um, does affect a lot of um, it, does, it affects everybody in some way. Right. No, diet is huge. And I call it the triumvirate of health, right? Diet, exercise, and sleep, which we didn't talk about, but that's important yeah. too. Yeah. I can't because I'm the biggest hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, there's a difference between saying healthy diet, like a plant-based diet and a strict macrobiotic or elimination diet, you know, where you've eliminated a lot of foods. That's different. Not everybody will find that they can't tolerate gluten, blueberries, mangoes, whatever, but everybody feels better on a healthier diet. A healthier diet and one that works for you as well. But right. I mean, I guess what it's funny, I was talking about this with a client today. I guess what drives me crazy and what drives a lot of people crazy is that there are just so many people that cut themselves short, even when they do have the answer. So for example, like I had this client one time um, who was, cause I, I have a specialty in perinatal mental health. So she was brand new mother, young, young woman with um, an, a new baby. She was like four months old and he was having really, really bad eczema. And, and, um, and I said to her, have you, has your pediatrician suggested maybe cutting out dairy because she was nursing? Um, has your pediatrician maybe suggested cutting out dairy and seeing if maybe that's what's getting into eczema? And she said, yeah, he did. Like he said, it's probably the dairy in, in my breast milk that's giving him this eczema and the poor little guy is scratching all the time. But, it's just no. and, but she said, but there's just no way I can manage without milk in my coffee and yogurt. For breakfast. I just can't. So, so the pediatrician gave me cream for his eczema and I'm putting it on him and putting the cortisol uh-huh. cream on every day and I think it's helping and I'm looking at the little guy and he's got eczema all over his little chubby arms uh-huh. and all in his little you know like the layers of oh, neck yeah little guys these little babies have and I'm like like honey cut out the dairy and like 
you know, your baby's eczema will clear up. Like, right. I've, I've definitely seen this as a pediatrician and it's frustrating because it's not even the person deciding about their own health. In this case, it's the person deciding about their child's Maybe, yeah. 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 Like nobody wants to walk around with like itchy eczema, you know, least of all a little baby who's just learning to sleep and just, you know, getting his whole, you know, starting his whole life and he can't even talk. He can't even tell anybody how he's feeling. So like, it's just things like that where it's like you have options and you have solutions right in front of you, but it's like too hard. Somehow it's, it's this mindset of like, you're holding yourself back from actually getting well or, or, or finding solutions. It's just too hard. It's too hard to do the solution. So we're going to remain crippled. We're going to keep crippling ourselves and remain sick or keeping our, ch our children um, sick or, or, or our children in a state of discomfort because the alternative is just too hard. But I'm going to be a devil's advocate here, okay? Sure. The flip side of that is people who have someone have a chronic illness and they did you try a gluten-free diet? Or, you know, I'm a parent of a child on the spectrum and, yeah. and they would say all the time, did you try that gluten-free, casein-free diet that was super, super popular? Like everybody, you know, on the spectrum must try this gluten-free, casein-free diet. And you could, you know, you're already dealing with so much and then, you know, you have this guilt on you that you haven't tried everything. So that's, that's the flip side. And there was a famous, not a famous story, there's a story of a, a man wrote where he went to Disney with his kids who have been both on the spectrum, gluten-free, casein-free, and accidentally gave them something with gluten and they were fine. And he was like, his whole world opened up. So yeah. that's the flip side of it, is there are people who unnecessarily restrict themselves, either from external pressure or things that they read, or they're looking for something, you know, a solution to their problem that is not the solution. Right. And I, and so, and that's the thing is like, I don't think that, um, again, I think you have to, you have to, um, educate yourself on your own, um, state of affairs let's right. say, you know, right, to, see what works, to see what works for you and yeah, like because like for example when i did the elimination diet we started with nothing like we cut out nothing i think i was on i was eating eggs vegetables um chicken meat fish and half a cup of rice a day that's it and apples and blueberries. Please, listeners, do not do this without proper Don't try this. Don't try this at home. Don't try this at home. Right. That's what we started out with. And yeah, I was a little thin. Yeah, I was a little skinny looking for a while. Okay. But then, but that didn't, but that didn't last. So then we added in bananas. And that works. That's fine. And then we added in raspberry. And that works. And then we added back in more than just half a cup of rice a day. And then we added back in tree nuts. And that was okay. And so I'm just saying like, and then I, and then we learned that like, no, I don't have to go like all on this like state of starvation all the time. Like there are other things I can have a little variety in my life, but there are things that work for me and there are things that don't work for me, but just like blindly listening to somebody and saying like, Oh, my kids are on the spectrum. We got to go gluten-free. That's not, no, that's not necessarily the answer. Maybe your kids will do better on the gluten-free diet, but maybe they won't. And you don't know that until you've tried You've tried it. <laughs> try it. Right, don't but you try don't, it. Not everybody has to try everything. Not everybody has to try a restrictive diet for a problem. It's very different. People have different issues, right? right? So I'm just giving you the flip side of somebody who's just trying to find an answer, you know, almost out of a hat. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. It's, but it's, it's not, not really tailored to them. Right. But you see, like, I also just like, I also think like, 
I don't know, sometimes people get wrapped up in these, in these ideas of like, well, if, if I can just, um, you know, if I can just like, let's say the problem isn't even diet, right? Like in the, in the case of this father with the kids on the spectrum, and he was like saying like, oh, I got to cut it. And really, maybe they just needed the right ABA therapist or they needed whatever. And like, sometimes people like they hear about this one thing that works, right? Get wrapped up in it. And like, it's just like, oh, we just we got to find the right diet and the right food and the right supplement. And, and like, no, actually, maybe that's not the issue at all. Maybe it's the right therapist. Um, or in like, let's say a case I had a I had a client years ago who had a severe, severe case of OCD. And she had gone from therapist to therapist, to therapist, to therapist, to therapist, to me. <laughs> in which case, I'm like, I can't help you. I consulted with my superiors who said, this girl's not going anywhere without medication. You can't help her. And I said to her, you, you know, you need to, um, if, if you want to really um, find some sort of improvement in your quality of life and get your illness under control, I really recommend that um, you start seeing a psychiatrist who specializes in OCD and we can get you on some effective medication. No, 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 I'm not doing it. I'm not taking medication. I'm not, I'm like, so I can't help you. And then she bounced to another therapist and another therapist and another therapist. Right. So, it, you know, like who's okay with that? Like she was not, she was not getting yeah. answers. She was right. not getting answers. She was convinced that she just had to find the right therapist to help her at the same time. She had the opportunity right in front of her to get answers that would help her. And she, but no, she's not going to go that way. There was some sort of block. Um, and she's choosing not to go that way. So, like, who has the patience to keep beating their head against the wall that many times? Some people do. Right. But, but, but I, I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but that you're making a really, really important point. And I'm so glad you said it is that there is yeah. like two worlds here. There's like the natural world that's like often has an anti-medication bent, right? Who might look at you more holistically, might put everything together for you like your naturopath did. I'm not saying your naturopath is anti-medication. I'm just talking in general. Right. right I don't right. know. I'm not asking. Um, but... There And then there were people on the flip side who may be very, you know, straight medicine based that may not see the whole picture, may not realize that you may have things that you can't measure that you can only try for yourself, like an intolerance that may, may not show up on a blood test, right? But the people who are anti-medication, like you, you're giving a perfect example, somebody who's doing a tremendous disservice. And that's the kind of person that can go from diet to diet to diet and can get really caught up with restrictive eating or, you know, just anxiety mm-hmm. around food when they needed medication and, and they're not and they're and they are not getting better and they're right, not getting right, better and then right. my question to them is like who has patience to to knock your head against the wall for year after year after year after year with no answers simply because you're you're just you're you're barking up the wrong tree and i honestly that takes me to a whole other podcast which would be like maybe some people don't actually want to get better <laughs> I, I don't even necessarily think that's true i think that there are people who just their medical bias is against medication could be. You know, they feel it's mind control. They feel it's big pharma, whatever it is. Could be, yeah. I've seen this many, many times where, you know, I have parents who come in and their kids desperately need medication and they will say not ever going to happen. Wow, yeah. And I don't think it's that they don't want their children to get better. They love their children. Yeah. They just will not accept medication as a solution. Yeah. 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 So I'm glad that we got to that because that's really, really important when it comes to, you know, the role of, of diet and mental health for somebody looking for the magic answer and avoiding the medication solution. That could be, yeah. you know, banging your head against the wall. Yep. 
So I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought that. You know, we could talk all night. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never be done. We'll never be done. I did not realize how huge an issue. And we didn't get to everything I wanted to do. So we might have to do part two, um, yeah. another fifth episode with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I really want to thank you so, so much for doing this with me. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Yes, it really, really is. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.